What is the Xbox expansion pass? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, hello. Greetings. I am 343 Guilty Spark, monitor of Installation 04. Greetings to all of you reclaimers here on Xbox Expansion Pass. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Tim DeDabo. Yes, this is my real voice. And yes, I would be there, but you blew me out of the sky. Congratulations on this, man. This is momentous. Almost 100 episodes of this. I can't believe it. Oh, I remember when I was 100, so very, very long ago. <laughs> Xbox Expansion. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 101 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 26th, 2021. I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by guest Benjamin Rivers on to discuss the working together of the initiative and Crystal Dynamics, which has sparked plenty of debates and topics throughout the interwebs. The Halo Infinite beta hit the Halo Insider masses, plenty of impressions there, and listener mail on the way. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to my good friend, Andrew Semichek, who was kind enough to connect me with a few people behind the scenes, uh, reaching out, knowing that I was looking for something. Uh, he went out of his way to make sure that I was in good standing in a certain spot, and I really appreciated that, Andrew. So thank you so much. Made my gaming week better. The second set of words of kindness go to my guest co-host today, returning guest of XEP, Mr. Benjamin Rivers, who was on our episode 10 as an interview discussing his time in game development. And this week, joining me to co-host through the entire show, Ben, how are you? Woo, happy to be back. Thanks for having me, Ben. I'm uh, super excited to talk about stuff today. I am as well. The last time you were on was episode 10, December 9th. 2019 in the before times in the before times is exactly right it has been such a big change from where we were to where we are now how have you been overall uh i'm i'm good i'm keeping busy working on games and comics which is sort of my therapy <laughs> just to kind of keep myself sane without that yeah. i don't know where i'd be well, you mean you work in game development and on the indie side, you are a specialist in horror. We last had you on to talk about your game, Worse Than Death, which mm -hmm. released just a little, just around two years ago at this point, not quite. Uh, we're approaching the month of Halloween. Does that get you excited at all, or is horror a year-round jam for you? It's Well, the answer is yes and yes. It is a year-round jam, but I like to, I get really excited when, you know, the fall weather starts to creep in. And I was joking with my wife because normally... I say every year, oh, I'm going to try to watch more horror movies this, you know, October. And this time I said, you know what? You know how I'm going to do this? I'm just going to start in September. So I've been secretly watching horror movies for the past three weeks, trying to catch up on stuff I've never seen and just dive into whatever catalogs I can find. And I'm, I'm having a two-month October this year just to make the most of it. 
if it's not the before times or we're in what we're in now, I think you can make whatever you want because time literally seems to have no meaning anymore. I don't know what was when. I have to look at calendars all the time. Uh, last year was a blur for me. So if you're enjoying a two-month October, I think that's well-earned. Right. I think we should just rewrite the calendar. Just make it two-month October. There you go. There you go. I am a big fan of Halloween. I'm a big fan of spooky, but not necessarily horror, if that makes sense. That was... Uh, I, I should say that I don't necessarily enjoy massive amounts of, of jump scares or massive amounts of gore, but a good spooky vibe with one or two good scares is my jam. Uh, a lot of games I've played, not to butter your bread, really enjoyed Worse Than Death. Um, games like Alan Wake really get me. I do enjoy some of the Resident Evils quite a bit, but horror is this genre that has extremes in it. Um, and I think I enjoy the more spooky side of things as opposed to just like all-out full horror so have you played any of the fatal frame games i have not played any of the fatal frame games so you get a chance this october right because the fatal frame 5 uh is getting a re-release and previously it was a nintendo only console or or, um game uh because nintendo had publishing rights for fatal frame um as of four i think it was and uh it's also coming to xbox as well is it really? I did not know that. You have just turned me on to something. I'm quite seriously Googling this right now. Fatal Frame 5 uh, coming to Xbox. Now I just ha- I have to find this out. Tell me about the Fatal Frame series, though. This is one where you have to take pictures of ghosts. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's a really it's a fascinating series because it's by uh, uh, Tecmo or now Koei Tecmo. Um, so it was like the first sort of major AAA um, horror game with a female protagonist back in the day. It started on PS2 and then also mm-hmm. came uh, Fatal Frame 1 and Fatal Frame 2 were on PS2 and both of those came on Xbox. Um, and the Xbox versions are actually really cool with a bunch of uh, special features that you just can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as of 3, they were uh, PS2 only. And then with 4, Nintendo bought the publishing rights or there was some deal. It's never been disclosed, so I can't, I'm not really sure. Um, then there was a remake of 2 on the Wii. Four was on the Wii, and it only was in Japan. Five was a um, Wii U exclusive, uh, and it's a game that I love as well. And then there was a big surprise announcement that it was getting a re-release on pretty much everything this year because uh, it's the twentieth, I believe it's the twentieth anniversary of Fiddle Frame this year. That's exciting to me, I think, in a lot of ways, actually. And I would not have known about Fatal Frame Five had we not talked about it. But this is one that would be up my alley. I would enjoy it. Spooky, fun uh enough scariness in there but not like massive gore and this is this is my right. jam yeah it's really cool there is some there was some questionable content in that game that's that's a game made by some people with uh a few views towards some things that feel out of date in the year 2021 um but in terms of like legit creepy horror stuff it's still great and it still looks really good and there's uh one episode in that game in particular I think about 60 or 70% through the game um, using cameras, uh, not the camera that you use, uh, but um, uh, security cameras. Okay. And it's, it's so cool. It's such a simple, simple sort of way to hack what you're used to playing with a fatal frame game. And it's really creepy. I love it. So that game, the story in that game will be um, somewhat confusing to people who haven't played a bunch of the earlier series because they do some things that are, like I said, extremely questionable, but also kind of there's some deep cuts in there in terms of things that it's referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can just enjoy it for the uh, uh, for the atmosphere. And it's technically just a really fascinating game. 
there's something that they do in there where they always have um they have these flashback sequences which all of the fatal frame games do they usually like have these black and white you know low frame rate uh static vhs video style flashbacks to show something creepy or it might look like an old film now i could be wrong but i but i believe i fact checked myself on this i think what they did for fatal frame 5 is they uh rendered the um rendered the actual cutscenes uh for these flashbacks then recorded them off screen running on a real crt sorry recorded them on a vhs tape mangled the vhs tapes uh replayed them on a vcr and then recorded them off screen with a camera and then imported that footage uh to actually use as the cutscenes that played during the game so they look like legit old um destroyed vhs tapes yeah that is a long process yeah, I, I hope I'm not just like I've just bought into a huge internet lie. I believe this is true um, because when I found that out, I was just extremely excited because the when you see the scenes, they're just so well done and they look amazing. And the fact that they use this sort of analog process is just right up my alley. Well, you've turned me on to it. I am interested in checking this one out uh, because I enjoy kind of being festive in the month of October towards Halloween. Uh, I like some 80s horror movies. I love jumping into certain spooky games and whatnot. Uh, cheesier is, is tends to be my route, but like I said, some of the Resident Evils have stand, stood out. Alan Wake is absolutely on my list for two weeks from now, uh, for sure. So it's gonna be gonna be a good one. I'm I'm glad to have another one to look forward to. Last year I played Pumpkin Jack. I don't know if you know that one. That was based on uh, like a bunch of old PS2 style games, and that was a good old time for sure. I've heard of it, but I've not actually played it. Yeah, uh, think PS2 platformer like Medieval, but right. you know it, it's a pumpkin, and your name's Jack, and there's nothing too elaborate <laughs> about the game. It's it's a budget title, and it's a blast. It's a good old indie one. Um, just simple, simple fun there. So I'm all about being festive on that front, uh, for sure. But you know, Ben, we've got lots of stuff to talk about. There's big news this week: Halo Infinite beta impressions. Uh, are being received by not just outlets, but lots of different people are able to play it via the Insider program. I've had my hands on it. Uh, before we jump into impressions of that Halo Infinite beta, uh, are you a Halo fan, a Halo person, someone who's interested in how Infinite goes out? Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked me this question. Luke, do you know what I've been doing this year? I've been What's playing that? through every single Halo game co-op with my friend Mark. Yeah, uh, I convinced him to get an Xbox Series S at launch last year, and I got an okay. X. Yeah, and he's a lapsed games player. He hasn't played in a long time, and so at the beginning of this year, or sorry, during the winter, I guess the winter months, I said we're doing it. We're playing every single Halo game until Infinite comes out. Mm-hmm. Now we're a little bit behind. We're just about to beat Halo Three, uh, and then we got to move on to ODST, and then Reach, and then Four, and then Five. Those last two, I'm not sure how much we're going to get into before Infinite comes out, but the Long answer to question is absolutely. And doing this entire epic series replay has um, unearthed a nostalgia and a love of the series that I kind of forgot that I had. And I've gone completely like mental on this. I've like digging up old comics. I'm going to go through the entire audio series. I'm going <laughs> to just, I'm looking stuff up on Wikipedia like every other day. Mm-hmm. I forgot how much I remember. Uh, about Halo, how much I um, dug deep into it, and how much I love it now that I'm back into it. There's something so special about expanded worlds. I recently did that same thing with Control, where I was doing YouTube videos looking at all the extended universe type things. As far as Halo is concerned, I have read so many of those novels. I love the comic book series that go into it. 
it's really interesting for me. I don't know how far into the comic stuff you are, but you can see the angles they were trying to go with Halos 4 and 5. And now knowing they're veering away, some of the stuff that's going to be left behind, uh, particularly with the audio stuff that you perhaps have been listening to as well with Hunt the Truth. Uh, there's so many great stories to be told in that universe. And it all comes down to, you know, this first person shooter game as its, you know, originator. Uh, really cool experience. And to get to play through, uh, all the old ones through Master Chief Collection and some of the other options uh, that are out there. That's awesome. I love that they've made that legacy available. Yeah, and what's so great is that, uh, especially for playing with my friend who isn't an avid uh, games player, like he doesn't play every week or isn't up on the news like we are, he was sort of laughing because he didn't realize how much of a fan of the series I was. But also, I didn't realize how much of the fan of the series he was because we didn't really play games together at that time. And uh, he, I just didn't realize he was nerdy about this kind of stuff. So getting into it, we've been sharing essentially like, you know, midnight launch stories, uh, tales of, you know, waiting for uh, waiting for the games to come out. I told him about um, when the I Love Bees uh, ARG was out for Halo 2. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you this already or like offline or whatnot, but um, in I think it was over two or three weeks that that was released. Uh, I actually manually pieced together every single piece of audio that they released to recreate the entire story in order. And I was doing it at work because I was on the website finding new clips every single day, making folders, labeling them all, and then realizing like, oh, okay, there's like, you know, four stories or whatever it was. And they're centering around X characters. And then I would find them. I I forget the names of characters now, but, you know, it'd be like Jimmy one, Sally two. And then because they didn't release them in order, you were supposed to eventually figure out what order they went in to construct the actual narrative. And I made it and I made the entire set designed a CD case uh, and then like uh, burned because it's back in the day, uh, burned custom CDs of it. So you could have the entire radio drama listenable, like in a car stereo or, or anywhere. So yeah, a little bit obsessive about this stuff. So, so that's simultaneously awesome. And the fact that you've dated both of us uh, <laughs> is, is a little depressing. Cause it's like, God, I remember burning CDs. That's awesome. And I would have paid good money for you to burn me that CD back in the day. <laughs> I know. I should have. Too bad Kickstarter wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. You could have made a pretty penny on that one. Um, it's it's cool also, but you have opened the door for a question, given that you are playing through these older Halo titles co-op with your friend. I believe you said his name was Mark. Yes. That's right. Are you and Mark planning to check out Infinite's campaign right away, given that co-op, co-op will not be there? So this has been a big... Uh, sad shock i guess for us knowing that co-op isn't there on launch we've had discussions mm-hmm. on the one hand it gives us a little bit of time i think mm-hmm. they've said three months three months is, co- is what we've heard at this point yes right so let's say it's three months oh, are we are either of us going to be able to hold off playing that game for three months i don't know it does give us a bit of extra time to finish finish uh, other games in the series if we do fall behind uh on the other hand we've also discussed the idea of actually just sort of couch co-oping the game or rather passing the controller around you know 80s style uh just so we can see um the campaign so it is it's a bit of a fly in our ointment because we want to play co-op um because this has gone on so i have a feeling either way that's that will happen Mm -hmm. uh but i mean i know neither one of us is going to be able to you know not hold off load that thing up on launch day just to see what's going on Right. Yeah, I I would have to imagine just to avoid spoilers, uh, which I think sometimes the 
emphasis placed on spoilers is a bit overblown. However, to avoid having people taint the experience that you're going to have, uh, certainly stands out, I suppose you could say. And more to that point, why you can play through it again. You know, you can play through right. Infinite again when the time comes. That's for sure. Yeah, um, well, this co-op run has been the first time I think either of us have done these campaigns co-op. I mean, I know I played them all single player, mm-hmm. you know, before playing multiplayer with friends or whatnot. Um, but it really has made it's kind of become our preferred experience now. Sure. Sure. Do you have a favorite of the, of the games you played so far? Oh yeah. I, and I mean, so originally I played like back in the day, I played through Halo one, two, three, uh, and reach. And I played, I'd say about 70% of Halo four. Mm-hmm. Um, I never played ODST, not for any particular reason. It just sort of passed me by. Um, and I hadn't played five yet. So five is going to be a brand new experience for me. Uh, Halo two is my favorite. And that has to do with the sort of focus on story and the, all the expanded characterizations. It also has to do with all the extra media that was out at the time. Again, like I love bees and whatnot, mm-hmm. which got me uh, so heavily invested in all the lore. And, you know, like you, I, I read the first four halo novels. Mm-hmm. I think there's that four pack. I can't believe yep. it. Man, I read really, really went to town on those. Um, so Eric at that Nile point it was when I was Joseph sort of Staten, uh worked on those books, I believe. Uh, he, yeah, th- there's one of his, I have not read. Uh, like uh, Contact Harvest, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And I, one. I'm going to get it this year because I okay. really am in the mood. Cool. Cool. Now I will tell you, I very much enjoy the more recent books uh, to the originals because of the, I think the options that they have as far as the story goes, characters well outside of the games, meaning they can play with it a bit more. Uh, you might find if you, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you go there's an entirely new set of characters that you could fall in love with. This sounds great. Like I'm 100% into this. I will, uh, I will sell you on one group. There's a group called ferret team and they're basically Oni ops meet, meet, met with Spartans and a few other different type of insurgent groups. And they're just a specialist uh, group that like inserts behind enemy lines or disrupts local governments and works with stuff in the post covenant era. And they are just, awesome 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 groups there's a lot of really cool lore and they blend like different elements of blue team so like chief's teammates will be in these stories but chief won't in some of them and then others do focus solely on master chief or blue team but yeah there's some good stuff in there for sure that's great yeah the new i haven't read the new comics i actually saw them in a comic shop today and i almost like i almost sort of lost myself and just bought them all at once because i was getting so excited That's uh so i'm looking forward to kind of just like filling out all the holes in the lore that i have not yet consumed very cool very cool well uh halo infinite specific i've had the chance to jump into that beta um i'm guessing from you just talking a moment ago you've not jumped into the beta that's right and i'm bummed out about that i've been sort of paying attention to uh people posting you know screenshots and impressions and and, and whatnot uh, and i saw some of the live streams that were put up where they were going through some of the technical preview stuff mm-hmm. you know over overview of videos but what did you think so far i am very impressed with what i'm playing now some people were losing their minds during the the technical test which was more exclusive i did not play in that one in this one it's open to anyone who's a who signed up you could have joined it regardless and i'm really enjoying the gameplay it is gorgeous it is uniquely halo um this is it's one of the smoothest first person shooters i've played 
uh, at least for a beta, you know, in the, in these particular environments, I, I have to say very impressed with it, especially given that it's going to be free to play. The weapons feel great. The sounds are amazing. The grapple hook really does change things. And they've done a lot of refinement to the game. There is a strong potential that this could dethrone Call of Duty over time, uh, particularly given the way Vanguard seems to be looking. I'm really impressed with it. That said, uh, I wonder if this will land with the masses, land with the young kids, because that's really where you you pick up most of your players. A lot of Destiny 2 Fortnite players are very young. Uh, I wonder if Halo is still relevant enough. And we'll see. I think that's the goal of Infinite, right? To bring back a lot of those players that have left, like like uh, of our generation, and then the, bring in new players of, of a younger generation. That's the question there, you know? Yeah, and it's there's there's two things there. One is that I really like I hope Microsoft gets to gets to sort of have the most fun possible with this being kind of like a gigantic resurgence and and um celebration of the franchise because mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Halo deserves it. Uh, again, mm-hmm. like it's been enough time for me since I've sort of been so heavily into it that I'm rediscovering it uh from a nostalgic point of view and it's been fantastic. Uh, and it's sort of the right sort of time cycle for that to happen. But I also think it is absolutely bizarre that we are in a world now where a brand new Halo game is competing with the other Bungie game. <laughs> you know what I mean? For yeah. Destiny. And it's like you have those two things now where it's like, ooh, are we going to get people from Destiny or Halo? And it's it's fascinating to watch just to kind of see those different pedigrees. It's like either way, I feel like there's a bunch of people in the world who kind of just win because they're like, this is all our babies. <laughs> Yeah, you, you have us to thank. You're welcome. And when you look at 343's track record, uh, I think all but the most cynical have to be respectful of the idea that they made a really great campaign experience for the Xbox 360 and Halo 4. They made a wonderful multiplayer in Halo 5 uh, and perhaps missed the mark on getting those two at the same time. Gameplay-wise, I have to say that Halo Infinite feels pure Halo, but very much, I hate that, I hate this joke, but it very much evolved into modern times. Uh, so it is Halo evolved in, in the best ways. It combines the best of what you would want from a modern shooter, from like scrambling to sprinting, uh, different types of loadouts, the grapple hook, to a very classic Halo feel. When you sprint, you're not going that much faster, which should uh, really bridge the ground between those Halo purists and new fans. There's a lot of new weapons. One of the things I was worried about, Ben, was Promethean weapons because the Prometheans yeah. were remarkably uninteresting in five um perhaps not as much in four because they were new but the new weapons just feel wonderful and the visuals of infinite really seem to have benefited especially in motion from that year delay that's been going on because i thought it looked good when we saw it but it looked rough in, in in some ways and this is just a smooth experience so far the screens i've seen are super impressive and even just some of the video that people have posted um mm-hmm. looks really good the, the thing that always gets me is, again, as we're playing through these old games, you know, nothing looks or sounds or feels like Halo. And it is one of the most, uh, one of the most beneficial things like a brand or a game can have. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, no other game could do something quite like Halo without somebody saying, hey, wait a minute, what are you trying to do? <laughs> like, right. isn't that just, isn't that just Halo? And when you have sort of a, a, a style and a look and a feel that is so specific um, you're laughing. You get to you get to enjoy that. So, whenever whenever Halo veers towards anything else, you know, whenever it tries to reach um, towards you know another game or or 
maybe appeal more to to players from another uh, FPS or or sci-fi game, I'm always like, oh, you guys have it. Like, go back and read those novels. You got it. Like, you got all of this. You don't you don't need anything else. So from what I've seen, it seems like things feel quintessentially Halo, and that's I mean. I hate to say it, but like, that's what I want. I want that, those blue and purple skies. I want that lush greenery. I want that fascinating mix between, you know, alien um, uh, structures and beautiful organic landscapes. I want that idea that there's always something just extremely large, uh, just out of my view that is now informing what I'm seeing in front of me. Sure. Um, and I'm really hoping that that's what we get in the single player campaign. Well, I... I have good vibes about the single player campaign. One of the one of the listeners, Dano, wrote in asking how it felt to finally play Infinite. In my first experience with it, Ben, I was playing against bots, and you can do a lot in the training mode and mess around with their AI, make mess around with the amount of of bots that are in the game and whatnot. And I was really impressed with the AI of the game, and that's something that Halo has long since had pretty solid AI in the multi or sorry in the single player campaign to see just how good the AI is in the multiplayer and how fun it was to play against bots in multiplayer. I'm really excited to see how that plays out in the campaign space because everything we've seen of campaign thus far has said that they're working their best to make it a Master Chief story, but also capture the old school Halo vibes while bringing us to a new world. Like this new ring should have a lot more gameplay opportunities for us. It's near open world. Um, I don't know how else to describe it other than that at the moment. But the AI really felt quintessentially Halo without being uh, being dumbed down in any way. Like those Spartan AI are really good, uh, and I'm not just saying like their health meters are higher. They were thinking and moving and flanking in the best ways, uh, and so I think that bodes well for whenever you jump into campaign, whether it's with your buddy Mark or not. Um, but I can tell you that that day one, I'm going to be there with bells on, excited to play this campaign. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, one thing that Halo always does with the the AI, and one of the reasons why I like the franchise so much is that at its core, it knows it's a video game and mm-hmm. it has a lot of great design choices that are about making sure you're having the most fun mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just tweaking how the, um, you know, the the enemies move and how they behave. It's not just about making them overpowered or or making them uh, extremely difficult for you, but making sure they give you openings, having that balance of when, you know, like a grunt runs away and when they attack you, all that kind of stuff. And I find that's been one of the biggest revelations replaying through the games is how fun that sandbox is, not just how, you know, Oh, it gets harder or I have to become now a superhuman game player, um, which is a lot harder when you're in your forties and you're in your twenties. It's that it is this very uh, well thought out push and pull system that keeps you engaged and probably often cheats, you know, to make sure that you're having fun while also giving you the correct challenge. And that is something that I remember that got me into that game in the first place uh, that you often wouldn't get in other kinds of shooters. Sure. Sure. Very much so. But uh, bottom line uh, to any of the listeners that wrote in asking about Halo Infinite guys, I think it's in good standing. I think there's a lot to enjoy. Uh, And if you've not checked out Halo uh, as a franchise, I would encourage you to do what Ben's doing and, Take advantage of Game Pass, the options that are available in the Master Chief Collection. Explore the world, the comics, the audio. Uh, there's a lot to dive into. It is Star Wars level big, if you'd like it to be. Um, or it can be as simple as just playing through the main games, because there's a lot of fun there as well. Uh, Court Lalonde, you wrote in asking about significant improvement to Halo multiplayer from previous generations. I'm going to hold off on answering your questions till I played Big Team Battle last uh, next weekend. 
Um, right now, everything looks good. It feels good, but I want to get a little more time with hands-on and talk to some more multiplayer aficionados before I answer your question, Court. But uh, thank you for writing that one in. Ben, let's transition topics. Let's do it. Making big news this past week was the initiative announcing via Twitter and then the Crystal Dynamics announcing via Twitter, not via press releases that I saw right away, uh, that the Perfect Dark developer, the initiative has called in CD, or CD, not CD Project Red, called in Crystal Dynamics for help uh, in working with the next Perfect Dark game. The official wording says, the initiative have announced that they are partnering up with Crystal Dynamics to work on the Perfect Dark reboot. Crystal Dynamics was the studio behind Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider reboot back in 2013, as well as other titles like Legacy of Kane and last year's Marvel Avengers. Now, listeners, you should know that Daryl Gallagher is the studio head of the initiative, and he previously worked at Crystal Dynamics. This, of course, still raises a number of eyebrows and a number of spaces because Crystal Dynamics' track record of late has been very mixed, despite my love for Avengers, and I'm so sorry to you listeners to bring it up again. Uh, but despite my love for it, pretty lackluster response to that game in just about every standing. Uh, and the Tomb Raider reboot trilogy is honestly one of my favorite series of games, but I don't know that it hit as hard as Square wanted it to. More to that point, Square Enix has a very strong Sony connection. So this is a pretty fascinating uh, partnership in just the way we found out about it in the way that it wasn't really touted as being this huge thing by Xbox channels. I have a lot of questions. My eyebrows are up. Uh, ben, you found out about this very recently. What were your gut first reactions there? A couple things. The first is you don't tell anyone about something if you don't want them to know. So your reasons for making an announcement is are either oh man, someone's got a gun to my head and we have to tell them before they tell, you know, they, they break the news before us. Or I think this will be a positive beat. Like there's no such, no one releases a negative marketing beat. So releasing anything like this is uh, by the people who are saying it, either something they have to do or something they want to do. So the question mm -hmm. is, is it something they have to do or something they want to do? I don't feel like this is a bad thing at all. Uh, and I don't think this should be construed as something negative. My initial reaction is that, look, they announced, when did they announce the initiative? Was it with that trailer, of the original trailer of Perfect Dark? Uh, in 2018, Phil 2018. Spencer okay. came out saying that they were putting together a quad A studio. <laughs> right, uh, which is... Which is right. just wild. And they pulled in members of different teams that are elite, like people that worked on God of War, people that worked at Crystal Dynamics in their, their Tomb Raider heyday, Red Dead Redemption 2 writers... There's a lot of big names that are working at the initiative now, despite them saying they were going to be small and agile. Right. So, I mean, it is quite possible that they sort of knew that people would be talking about this soon and they wanted to get ahead of it and just say, this is what we're doing and, you know, make sure it sounds like a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing. Because like you say, people have questions and people are, some people are worried about this. My initial reaction as a developer is that you are starting a new studio from scratch, say in 2018. So it's 2021 now. You are making big claims, which means you're spending a lot of money, uh, which means you're hiring, you're scaling up, you're training people, you're onboarding probably hundreds of people. Um, there's bound to be lots of issues there, uh, just in terms of getting a company up and running um, and managing um, a new team or a new series of teams. Then you have a global situation that kind of throws all of that into the 
you know, into the deep fryer and makes everything three times harder than, um, uh, than it would be. And I mean, Phil Spencer has talked about this before, but everyone has, I mean, no one is working at peak, you know, efficiency, uh, or productivity and they haven't been for quite a while and they probably won't be for, for quite some time. So I can imagine a situation where maybe they're working on a project like perfect dark, maybe things are going well, maybe it's not, you know, maybe they're sort of getting their feet in terms of what they want it to be. Uh, there's always, there's always, you know, sort of internal reboots and revisions and, and reimaginings uh, and discussions and arguments and all that stuff. And maybe at some point they realize in order to get certain things up to where we wanted it to be at this point, we're going to bring in a team or a bunch of people or, you know, like part of a team to essentially augment uh, a part of the team that might be lacking. So maybe that's production, maybe that's concept development, maybe that's whatever. I mean, even in terms of talking about um, uh, Halo Infinite, bringing back uh, uh, just a statement to sort of be campaign manager and kind of just oversee things and say, okay, let's just kind of get all our ducks in a row here because maybe internally we've been looking at it um, too long. I say this with some minor experience. I don't, I don't know what it's like to run a quad A studio or whatever, <laughs> whatever you call it. Uh, but as someone who's worked with other companies to come in in the middle of projects and help refocus a design, um, I did that with a VR project uh, here in Toronto a couple of years ago, where the company just said, we just need someone else to look at this because we've been arguing about it internally for so long that we think we've kind of f- forgotten what we're trying to do. And we just need a third party to to like basically have like group therapy so we can all work towards the, the common goal again. Mm-hmm. It is very possible that there is something like that going on where... Um, some people are realizing that internally they need a team that is maybe more up to speed than they would like to be, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. already the machine is turning and they don't have to sort of um, jury rig it together to help get that stuff done. I mean, right. you usually don't bring in another studio to sort of take over the design side, you know, you wouldn't. And again, I, I doubt any sort of studio head of a large uh, and heavily and publicly touted company is not going to have some sort of ego where they're like, Oh, I absolutely want this other company to come in and take over my project. So you'd normally hire another studio to help with uh, production tasks or things that you are probably not doing the best at, at the moment. So whether that is, uh, I don't know, multiplayer components or just technical components or just pipeline components, or it might just be that, Hey, this team has a better, uh, uh, a better method of working remotely than we do right now. And we need that because our pipeline is, you know, messed up or, or not quite up to snuff. Mm-hmm. There are all these variations. Who knows what it is? But I always imagine that it's it's something like that. It's odd to me, though, because when I think about Crystal Dynamics of late, I mean, I'm an avid Avengers player, and in my mind, they're not efficient when it comes to getting content out, given the way that, that Avengers <laughs> has gone. However, totally fair. they have... They've been nerfed greatly by the team that size that they started with versus where they are right now uh, from Square. And they moved a, th- a few things around. And we also know that Eidos Montreal um, was involved and then they shifted off to the Guardians of the Galaxy game. The part that really stands out to me that's so interesting is that Crystal is a proven developer of high quality games when you look at their Tomb Raider reboots. And they've got a lot of pedigree and a lot of talent when it's allowed to be focused. Work from home really did hit them hard. But I wonder just how this this relationship got built upon. Is it because Daryl Gallagher did work with Crystal Dynamics before and it was an easy partnership to make? He wanted to bring in people that he knew could get the job done. Um, and I've cited them as, as being very close with Sony. Uh, 
Square and Sony have worked very closely, several exclusive games, several exclusive characters, uh, things that are very Sony specific from out of Square. And so it's odd to me to see this pairing, uh, I suppose, in that respect. Um, I'm sure tinfoil hat people are thinking they're buying Square or something. Some right, like right. <laughs> but uh, it's not uncommon for studios to work together in any way, shape or form. Am I correct in thinking that and saying that? Oh, absolutely. You are correct. I mean, one thing that was discussed uh, during the Bethesda um, uh, purchase was all these sort of internal discussions about how they want to be able to share between teams and, and whatnot. And you hear that a lot with publishers as well, where, I mean, whether they are good at it or, you know, whatnot is another story, but sharing technology and all that stuff is super helpful. I think a lot of things or something that a lot of players don't realize is um, the creation of games is uh, often kind of like a gigantic Jenga slash picture puzzle all at once. And at some point you just need to get pieces in place in order for uh, your team to keep moving. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, reusing assets, being smart about, again, pipelines, understanding how to um, slot something in the right spot. And we often think of games uh, externally, like as, as players, as like these beautiful bespoke paintings that are, you know, spawned from the mind of some people and have never existed ever before. But in reality, it's usually a series of pre-made technical solutions and um, a sort of half created ideas that a team knows that they can cobble together in the right way to go, ah, we're 60% there with this. This is great. Now what do we need to do to make this custom or, or, or have this suit this particular project or do something that you know these tools weren't meant to do, et cetera, to create the actual project that we want to make? So if a studio is working with another studio, my initial reaction is that this, the studio in question is, is missing a piece and it makes more sense. I mean, this is all just business, right? So mm. it makes either more fiscal sense or time sense or both to bring in this other team to fulfill that piece as opposed to dealing with it from scratch. And so when you have this big studio that is obviously meant to be um, uh, a tentpole for you know the sort of Xbox brand, my assumption is either someone said, okay, if we don't do X, we are going to be screwed on getting you know Perfect Dark up to speed by the date that we want, the whatever mm -hmm. timelines that they have set. Or um, someone says, hey, you know, we could actually do this a whole lot better if we just got so-and-so to do it, like Crystal Dynamics or this team from them, um, rather than recreate this entire um, situation from scratch. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, those decisions are made, that stuff is brought in, and what externally looks like a big deal is, you know, just a lot of administrative work. Sure, sure. Now, a question from a listener that is, is one that I think a lot of people have been posing, and this one comes from Artur Gaming. He says, should we be worried? Halo's had a, a very publicized rocky road, and now we have the initiative news. Big hitters like Fable, Avowed, Hellblade, Perfect Dark are still a long way off. Uh, he wants to know if he's reading into something where there is really nothing. And before you tackle this one, I'm curious to know, uh, with your experience in gaming, do you expect that fans sh are, are all worrying when they see stuff like this or is this just par for the course and we're hearing about it more often? We, we are hearing about this kind of stuff more often. I, you know, there's always this sort of armchair experts online who, uh, read any news and they want to read into it. Um, my, my initial thought, well, a thing that all players should know, and I'm assuming lots of people 
know this, but um, sometimes you don't want to admit it to yourself is that, I, look, I'm an indie game dev. I can't speak for people who work on like 300, you know, person teams or managing a, a team of a thousand over three continents, but we're all just making it up as we go along. None of us really have any idea what we're doing day to day. Uh, and that's true for a person who runs the biggest AAA studio you can imagine versus, you know, the, those of us who run like a two or five person studio. So there was a lot of good decisions, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of, oh, we're making the best decision at the time. Turns out it's not uh, the, the best decision. And even pointing to, to what we we're talking about before with Halo, you go back and read all those or listen to like great developer commentary by uh, some of the Bungie staff and they are famously self-deprecating about their own ability or inability to sort of meet certain goals or deadlines or whatnot. Uh, That's usually not how uh, developers present themselves and certainly not how a platform holder would probably want to present themselves. But like we're, we're all just trying to, we're all jumping out of airplanes and trying to build a parachute before we hit the ground. Every single game is the exact same process. Sometimes you just come up with a really great parachute and it's a great smooth landing. Sometimes you just barely make it, but that's okay because you made it. Sometimes you just don't make it. <laughs> you just kind of hit the, hit the ground. Uh, and every project is that no matter what size or experience the team is, I think. That's cool. That's cool. And as far as being worried, should anyone be worried given, given I mean, he's talking about Halo. We talked about our our love for it and it has had a rocky road, but then of course, uh, making a quad a game should gamers be worried in any sense of the word i think so but i don't mean that in an ominous bad way i mean you should be worried about every single game because <laughs> for every for every blog post or like really positive youtube video you watch about you know like a team seeming to just sort of uh, sail these smooth seas to launch there's there are 10 people behind the camera who are just crapping their pants desperately trying to make everything work uh on time and that will never change right right and uh i'll I'll jump in on the fact that should you be worried no i would not i would not say you should be worried but like ben an air of caution there and uh there's nothing wrong with waiting you know i was worried about halo infinite uh after a few news things about people departing the project then i played the beta and i'm like okay i feel a lot better uh, the year delay seemed to be going well. You could argue that should you be worried about God of War because Corey Barlog's not at the helm? No. You know, I mean, I heard, I don't know if you saw this, Ben, this is crazy. Did you know that some developers reuse animations? And Kratos <laughs> refuses to backflip into the boat in God of War 2. <laughs> it's just insane. Oh my God. What are we doing? What's, I know. It's all a sham. That's all a sham. But no, I, I don't think you need to be worried, uh, Artur. I understand where you're coming from. I know a lot of people might be skeptical. I have my eyebrows raised at the idea that it's Crystal Dynamics working on this, given that, you know, I'm an Avengers player and I'm like, yo, there's like three people working on that team right now. I'm waiting on actual (laughs) stuff to do in that game. Uh, But that's a talented team. Daryl Gallagher is a talented person. You've seen nothing that the initiative has actually produced. You've seen no gameplay, no real screenshots outside of a quick teaser. Um, we need not be worried yet. The time may come where you should be, but plenty of their games are a long way off. The pandemic certainly extended those timelines, and yet still there's plenty to play across the, the ecosystem and in other ecosystems. So I would not stress too much, Artur. That's my my suggestion there. There you go. Uh, ben, a couple other smaller things happening right now. I wanted to point out Sea of Thieves has just launched its season four. 
And I point that out because this game has come such a long way from its launch in 2017. It hit across like 20 million uh, players at this point. They're doing very well on Steam. And for it to be doing well in Season 4 and capitalizing on the content they made with the Pirates of the Caribbean crossover, and now players can experience different elements of that DLC uh, in the game proper without having to do anything special, I was really excited for that. I know our buddy CJ is probably uh, ecstatic on that. So over the moon. Yeah, yeah, he's probably losing his mind at this. But I point this out not just because I'm a CFDs fan, but because this is an Xbox community that is growing in mass, probably very quietly across different platforms. And Microsoft continues to do well by them. Rare does well by them. I should probably say more aptly. Um, are you a CFDs player? I cannot remember. I'm not. I've actually played a bit with with our mutual friend CJ, um, and I really I appreciated it, but it just wasn't for me i'm a very yeah. like single player story focused kind of person so the kind of like online do a bunch of stuff uh, is never um never kind of my thing but i love the art style uh so much um which is not something i always say for a rare game um but i love the sort of aesthetic and the idea of it that i want to like it more than i do there's nothing wrong with it it's just not sort of the type of game that speaks to me i I can understand where anybody comes from on that. And there are days where I've played Sea of Thieves and wanted to throw my controller out a window, but the game did <laughs> so much for me during the pandemic with my good buddies, Charles and Kevin and Joe. Um, we had so many great, great voyages. I know we're going to get back to it once our lives calm down, but it's like a two hour event if you want to play Sea of Thieves. Right. Uh, for sure. But to see it launching in season four, to see it getting that Pirates of the Caribbean content in season three, to see it just doing so well, uh, I think is great because I remember back to the dark days of the Xbox one where there was very little to hang your hat on. There was very little to celebrate. And there was a year where it was crackdown sea of thieves and state of decay. And I love all three of those games for different reasons, but sea of thieves really fell short for me then. And now it's doing so well. I think that's great. So I wanted to point some eyes to that for sure. Uh, we had one or two more questions and I think it'll be time for us to roll on out, Ben. Uh, this one comes from Mr. Edward Barnell. He wrote this one in last week. He says, with the Series S and X design, do you think limited edition systems will look appealing or just the controller? Do you see a bigger future for limited edition consoles? Perhaps he's talking about the big monolithic box and, prep and saying that some of them just don't look good. I don't know if uh, you share that opinion. Where do you stand on that one? Well, okay. It's going to sound like such a fanboy loser here, but... Um... Uh, I love the Series S and X design so much that I don't think they need anything more. I think they just are perfectly designed, beautiful design nerd-like mm -hmm. objects. Uh, so anytime you add more to it, I go, no, you don't need to add anything. They're like, they're beautiful. Um, I, I mean, the one thing when, when the Series X first came out, I was actually joking with my friend Mark uh, that I was talking about before. I was like designing fake wraparounds. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we did like a wraparound for worse than death that could go around the Series X because it's like just a fantastically large canvas to do something cool with. And now that, of course, they're doing that stuff with with uh, Halo, um, it makes a lot of sense. It's It's a console design where you can do a lot with it, but I think you have to be really smart about it. Mm -hmm. Um Limited edition console stuff has never been my jam. Uh, some colors I've sort of dug on certain certain consoles, but um, I always sort of just prefer stock. However, I think what uh, Xbox did, which was smart, was that they essentially, like uh, Edward's saying here, is kind of like move that notion to the controller 
uh, and then that's the thing that you get to celebrate, you know, a special game release or some big event or whatnot. And I honestly, I think that's really smart because you don't have to purchase a new uh, console or feel like you missed out on this uh, special celebration because you're like, I don't want to buy a second Xbox. But, um, you know, it's very tempting to see like a really cool controller come out for a game that you love and be like, oh, that's awesome. I could use another controller, right? And I think that's a much smarter way to go. I'm inclined to agree with you for, for a couple reasons. Chip shortages and all that stuff certainly factor into why we wouldn't see a ton of limited edition consoles for the foreseeable future. But a controller is so easily displayed for such a smaller financial investment. And I think that's the the benefit of it. I, I'm looking over at my shelf right now, the Xbox One X's, the Scorpio edition and Gears 5 uh, editions. Really proud of those. But I mean, those are expensive display boxes now or expensive units to display but having a controller is very different. Now, now Ben, I'm a bit of a hypocrite in that because I absolutely did pre-order that Halo did you? year anniversary Elite controller. That is my birthday present. My wife, is. I, I told her she picked it out and she said she did a great job. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that thing is gorgeous. But yeah, controllers are the way to go, I would say, because I like the, the form factor of the boxes, but they're so hard to find. So maybe a different bit of different logic on that one. Agreed. Indeed, indeed. Let's go with uh, one more question here. This one comes from Stuffed Sean. He says, with Tokyo Game Show coming up and mobile being their biggest platform, does Xbox drop a streaming stick there? A small, functional, and almost perfect for a market driven by size. Uh, it would be big news, but perhaps not the biggest news. Streaming stick, Xbox, not a new idea. You think you see that at Tokyo Game Show? Probably not at Tokyo Game Show, but I think they, if they're smart, they push, uh, they push xCloud and they push mobile integration hard. Because mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Japan is is super mobile mobile focused. The last time uh, I was in Japan with my wife was December 2018, and we were walking around. It sounds like such a nerd thing to say. We were walking around Akihabara, of course, uh, and I always pay attention to what the ads are. You know. Um, and there were uh, wraparound ads on poles. There were, of course, large ads um, on sort of buildings in the usual sort of spots. But there were also like buses wrapped with ads. And the majority of the ones that I saw at the time was this thing called, was it, what is it, Bang Dream something? It's like a band building game for mobile. Uh, it, you can get it in, in North America as well. Um and this was sort of a big push at, at the time. And now it's a, there are different games that are sort of have, having those marketing pushes. Uh, but mobile was just the hugest focus. And one of the things I thought when Xbox was announcing some of their uh, different platform strategies uh, was how smart it was to be focusing on mobile, like I said, to reach out into, into um, markets that don't traditionally uh, care as much about consoles or that have already transitioned to mobile and you're never going to get them back. And I... I don't think they have the content right now to make that push, uh, like to make that sale an easy one. Mm -hmm. I think there's still some some content that they need to make a real, real push for the Japanese market. But like they have everything they need to do it. I don't know. It's this year's TGS. I think maybe next year's when they will sort of have uh, content that would make a bit more sense for that market. But the idea that what you're selling is something you already have. It's just a service. You know, you don't need to sell them a new piece of hardware. You don't need to sell them a streaming stick. You just need to sell them a subscription to right. play some good stuff. And then, of course, have a display unit that's got, you know, compatible controllers and things like that. Sure. Sure. I think you are on to something there. I don't think you see a streaming stick at Tokyo Game Show. I know nothing. I could be totally wrong. Um, but I don't think you see it there. That said, 
uh, I think it's an inevitability. I think what you do is you capitalize on what people already have. You discuss xCloud, you make it available to people, let them use it. And then um, I wonder if you don't start seeing early access to games. I postulated the idea of, you know, offering Halo Infinite multiplayer five days early via xCloud only or something like that. I don't know that that's a good move, but ways to get people into discovering xCloud might be a smart thing to do in the future. Uh, I, again, I don't know if Halo is the right time or place to do that, but uh, in general, just showing people that there's more availability of it um, as they work to, to kind of get into those Asian markets, not just Japan, but Korea as well, Yeah, uh, I think are, are, are smart moves there. But Streaming Stick, Tokyo Game Show, I think we would have had smoke before that fire. At least I would, I would think so. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, Ben Rivers, that's going to bring us to the close of this episode. I've started playing Psychonauts 2. Haven't really got enough to talk about it just yet, so I'm going to hold on that one. Uh, is there any game that you want to point to, listeners, that you've been playing that you would like to spotlight? And then, of course, I invite you to share your socials uh, and talk to some of these Xbox gamers about where they can find your work. Yeah, right on. So the on recently on Xbox, I actually just finished another Toronto indie game. It's called The Big Con. Uh, and it's on Xbox and uh, Steam as well. Um, right. And it's a game about being a teenager who's got to become a con, art- con artist in the 90s to save her mom's video store. <laughs> uh, super charming, incredibly well-written, laugh out loud funny, really awesome. Uh, and it's, it's you just got to see it. So it's on Xbox, and I hope, uh, I hope listeners check that out. Um, for my stuff, easiest way is we actually rebranded our company this summer. So we used to just be called Benjamin Rivers Inc., which makes me sound like just a complete jerk, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, and we rebranded as a new company called Bansico because uh, my wife Nancy and I are actually the ones who run the company, make the games, and we wanted to have something that sort of um, showed off our, our mom and pop, husband and wife team. And you can check out all our games at Bansi.co. And you can check out all the stuff that I'm doing, including uh, working on a comic book sequel to Worse Than Death. So Worse Than Death is that horror game we talked about before, and it launched in 2019 on Xbox as well as other platforms. And uh, during the pandemic, as for art therapy, I have been making a sequel uh, comic. It's like a horror manga, half romance, half uh, horror. Um, and there are, there's a print volume, there's digital issues and whatnot and you can check all that out and uh, the easiest way to do that is just go to linktree.com slash benjamin rivers and i've got links to bantico site comics all sorts of stuff i'm working on and all my social stuff as well have you shared your twitter handle i feel like that's a must when you're doing social sure stuff. yeah you can just go at benjamin rivers this is me on twitter and uh, instagram is at benjamin rivers inc our old name well, Ben, it is a pleasure to have had you on once again, the second guest I'd ever had on XEP back on episode 10. Uh, we, of course, bonded through the Player One community, which is really cool. Uh, Scoop Jessica is the one that brought us together yet again through Star Wars memes, which I think is a blast. That's uh, right. So we have to give a handy shout out to her for sure. Uh, She's to guys, blame for everything. She is. <laughs> she is. And every time I catch your streams, I often lurk your streams, by the way. Um, I'm not somebody who talks a lot while on Twitch, but I do often lurk. Uh, she is just the funniest in those chats, and that's a, that's a great move there. She won uh, a copy of Death Store last week. I get, she gave her a choice of any Xbox game she wanted. She chose Death Store, so I hope she's enjoying that uh, right now as well. That's awesome. 
yeah yeah guys that's gonna be it for us thank you for listening to xcp episode 101 you can find me on twitter at insipid ghost and of course xcp is available on all your podcast services and the audio files go to youtube as well have a great one guys take care Thank you.